0: Listening to 90% Mental Conversations with Grant Parr, Episode 92. Today, mental performance coach Grant Parr sits down with Ito Singer, assistant women's basketball coach at University of North Carolina Greensboro, to talk about how to build culture and develop an athlete's mindset. Ito touches on the importance of transformational coaching, mental skills training, and coaching the heart of the athlete. It's coaches like Singer that truly impact an athlete's career on and off the court.
1: Hey, Ido, how are you doing?
0: Hey, Grant. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm doing great. Thank you.
1: Awesome. Well, I'm super excited to have you on my show. We're going to talk about the mindset of a basketball player, how to coach culture, And we're going to talk a little bit about your podcast, The One Last Thought Podcast. So I'm really excited just to kind of understand your mindset and your perspective on these few topics.
0: Awesome. I'm fired up. Let's go.
1: All right. Let's go. All right. One of my favorite topics is mental toughness. So what does mentally tough mean to you?
0: I love that question because I think that's that's one of those million-dollar questions that everybody in in athletics and and pretty much anywhere in the world are trying to figure out what does it actually mean? So to me, I feel that mental toughness uh, stems from focus, but I think it's an internal focus in knowing that uh, these are the things that are important to me. These are the things that I need to execute and then taking it out uh, into the world from that internal mental focus and then saying, okay, I know what I need to execute, and now I need to focus on actually executing it. So it's a two-part to me. It's not so much about, you know, taking a punch and getting up. To me, it's more about knowing who you are, knowing what you're about, knowing what's important to you, and then being able to then carry it out into the world and executing.
1: You know, I actually, and I've said this a few times on my show, but I, I love that answer, and I think as athletes and coaches, and and even in the workplace, we we all kind of know what the word, you know, mental toughness, we have, we understand what it means, but we all have a different perspective of it. And it's like, I'm on my 85th, 87th episode of my show. And almost every single answer has been different. And I've never heard your perspective, that internal focus. And it to me, it resonates with me, and I, and I love the way that, how you articulated it because it kind of brought me to kind of my meaning of what does mentally tough mean, and that is conquering the emotional hurricane. And we, we have these emotional things, these events that happen with inside of us and also outside of us externally. And so how do we actually control that? How do we become tough? Well, to get in the middle of the eye of the hurricane is to, to be calm. So how do we get into that, that part of that uh, chaotic place or stressful place? And that's with our breath. That's how we become mentally tough. But it kind of brought me back to when you said internal focus, and I, and I love that.
0: I think, I think that's a big thing. I, I think, you know, when, when sometimes we say to each other, hey, snap out, it's because we're too internally focused into either the negative, the positive, or what's not happening in the moment right now we're we're too internally focused and so we need to snap out of it and and be more in the moment so i think it's it's a combination of that internal calmness and quietness and that could be through breathing and it could be through visualization which i'm sure we're going to touch on or anything else that we do to to quiet the storm and then bringing it out into the world where we need to actually execute and, uh, and be in the moment and be productive. So, so yeah, I, I truly believe that. And, and I like how, uh, how you kind of put a, a ribbon on that too.
1: <laughs> yeah. And even I'll add on to what you said, even self-talk, you know, that will allow us to get through that, that mentally tough situation. So, um, as you said, we're going to be touching on a lot of stuff, so I can't wait to, to kind of pick your brain a little bit, um, on visualization and meditation all that fun stuff. But before we get into that, uh, I want you to kind of go back to a, a specific time, whether in your athletic career or coaching career. And can you share a time with my listeners where you had to be mentally tough?
0: Yeah. Um, a lot, so right? I, uh, just, <laughs> uh, quite a lot. Um, yeah, that would be an understatement. I mean, anybody who's been in this, um, you know, in the athletic environment for a long time, you you can find multiple explanations, um, examples of of being mentally tough. I think the one that resonates the most to me, or maybe my first real challenge in mental toughness was when I was 17 years old, um, we lost my, uh, my family lost my father to a heart attack. And I was a senior in high school and um, playing on all kinds of different levels. I was playing in high school but I was also playing professionally and I was also playing for a junior national team and doing all that stuff. So there was a lot on my plate and then we had to deal with that situation at home. And so, um, going through that internal struggle of, you know, what people go through when they lose someone close to them while having to perform at a high level is not something that's easy to do. And, you know, couple that with, um, My father, my my parents used to always be at each and every one of my games. They used to have their two seats in the stand, you know, right in the home section. Everybody knew where they were sitting and it was always available to them. But during that time when we were mourning his loss and uh, the subsequent weeks, uh, he wasn't there, of course. And my mom couldn't go, just couldn't bear it. And so seeing those two empty seats because... You know, Our crowd wouldn't let anyone else sit there. Just seeing those seats and trying to go through the motions and be ready for the game and be mentally tough and be locked in while we're going through all of that at home, that was my first challenge. So it wasn't an easy one, and it definitely took a long time. And I know mentally I wasn't there 100%. But that was the first time that I realized that we all go through so much and um, we don't always show it, you know, we we sometimes we wear it better than than it really is. Um, that was my first challenge. And that was that was quite a turmoil. So uh, I don't know how I came out the other side. I think I was OK, but it was definitely not a, an easy time. And, and it told me a lot about myself, for sure.
1: Absolutely. Well, I always, you know, when it comes to crisis, I always talk, I always say this that uh, that there's where there's a crisis, there's an opportunity. And you but you have to allow yourself to go through the adversity you have to go through looking at that situation from a different lens and different angle for you to get the opportunity. And and I and I can only imagine that you had to go through so many levels of grief to get on to the other side of it. And when you deal with a a, a loss like that, uh, again it, I, I don't want to take away from it. it. It can be a distraction and and rightfully so. when I teach kids or athletes about tapping into their warrior mindset, one of the things that I do is I allow them to understand like they have to first identify who they are outside of it as you know being an athlete, so when they do play their game, they they know how to let go of that that person so they can actually get into the role of the warrior or the role of the athlete. So I can only imagine as you're going through that loss and then you have to tap into this, you know, transform into this athlete, this role of being a warrior. How did you do that? How did you let go of, or not necessarily let go, but maybe deal with putting your, the loss of your father aside or not allowing it to distract you when you got on the court?
0: I I don't know that I did. I think it did distract me. And, um, Going back to what you just said, I think for me, I have always seen myself in the lens of a basketball player growing up. That was my identity. I wasn't a kid. I wasn't a friend. I wasn't anything. I was a basketball player first. And so I think I went through a lot of highs and lows when I wasn't playing well or when I was playing really well. Everything was you know, black and white, and it was all through the lens of basketball. But when that happened when life kind of readjusted my priorities. I realized that there's so much more out there, and it's way more important to appreciate every day that we have and the opportunities that we have with, with the people that we love, because they're fleeting. They could be gone today. And so I think I started seeing myself more as a whole person. It's not who I am; it's what I do. I play basketball. I I still am daily involved in basketball, but it's not who I am. So I think going through that mindset of you are more than what you do, that was a big moment for me in transforming uh, into or starting to transform into the person that I am today.
1: I'm so happy you brought that up because I think from an identity standpoint, a lot of athletes get so caught up in the role of being a an athlete or a warrior, however you look at it, but it's very important that we stress as we coach and work with athletes to let them know that playing basketball or whatever that sport is it's what you do it's not who you are and and that's and i love it i'm I'm really happy you brought that up because it, that's a huge it's a huge lesson to teach young athletes
0: yeah and it's it's our responsibility as coaches and as as leaders to always challenge the preconceived notion that What they're doing right now is what they're going to do for the for the entire the entirety of their lives, or or to just look beyond the four years that they go to college, or if they want to play professionally, look beyond the ten years that your career might go if you're if you're lucky enough. You just got to look beyond that because when you go on the other side of those fifteen years I just mentioned, you're still in your mid thirties. So there's so much more to life and. We just have to start seeing the bigger picture. We, we got to zoom out a little bit more.
1: Yeah, great point. Great point. I want to tap into your mindset. Now, how different is your mindset as a coach compared to when you played?
0: Uh, because <laughs> I think it's <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing because um i I don't I wouldn't recognize the player that I was if if I stood next to him today uh, in terms of the mindset. Yeah. I I was um I was super aggressive. I was just running through brick walls, and I wasn't. I was throwing caution to the wind. Uh, I always joke with my wife that I have um I have the knees of a ninety year old just because of all the miles that I put on and everything I put myself through. Right. Um. I I can still play, but it's gonna hurt. So um I think as a coach, I'm I'm a lot more. I think the game slowed down for me and I think it's because I allowed it to. Mm-hmm. I allowed the information to be absorbed first, then processed, then acted upon. Whereas when I was a player, I saw things and I wanted to immediately go and attack it. And and so I think it's my ability to, and I'm still I'm still pretty quick with what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to go fast, but I'm going a lot slower than I did when I was a player, and it's just because I'm allowing the information to be absorbed.
1: Right, right. I mean, would it say, I mean, I'm sure back then you were still purposeful and intentional, but do you think it's just more of a focus now that that you're coaching athletes?
0: I have a responsibility to them. I can't jump to conclusions. I can't be too um, fired up without giving them the best information that I can So it has to come from a place of uh, a deeper reflection, or at least I need to be controlling uh, to control my breathing a little bit more and not just jump in and, you know, allow my emotions to dictate my response. It has to be a little bit slower and a little bit more calculated Mm. because they don't, they don't deserve my gut reactions. They, they deserve my, uh, my deeper thoughts.
1: Right. No, I agree 100%. What do you think is the most challenging mental aspect of the game of basketball for a basketball player?
0: I think it's it's very fast-paced. There are so many decisions you have to make, and uh, the longer you're on the floor, the more decisions you have to make, but it's it's kind of like a like a graph, right? You, the decisions Uh, The part of the decisions keeps going up, but your energy keeps going down. And at some point you become not just physically fatigued, you have decision fatigue. Mm. So the quality of what you do starts dropping the more you're on the floor. Um, So I think that's one of the biggest challenges. I know players are struggling with playing present and there's a lot of stress involved in being on the floor and trying to do the best that you can, because nobody's trying to mess up on purpose. And, um, you know, but there are five other players who are trying to make you look bad. And so it's that constant struggle of trying to be present, trying to do well, and um, maintaining your mental focus while your energy level is constantly dropping.
1: Right. Yeah, you know, when you were when you brought up about the fast pacedness of the game, you know, I I think Mm -hmm. for me, when, when you're playing present in the game of basketball, you have to, you have to adapt or adopt the next play speed. And, and as you're, like you said, as you're playing the game more minutes, more minutes, that quality of next play speed could go down. It doesn't have to, you Mm -hmm. you have to definitely prepare yourself to, But I always look at that. That's one of the things when I'm looking at basketball players or a basketball team is what's the quality of their next play speed? You know, how much are they, what's their stamina like, but are they plugging into the emotion? Is it stopping them from missing a shot or having a bad play or messing up on an assignment? Because all those things will take a person out of their next play speed. And that's what you, especially in basketball, you need next play speed.
0: Uh, You know, I, I talk to my players about having amnesia. And I use that analogy because it doesn't matter if you did the best thing in the world right now, you need to do another one right away. Or if you did the worst thing in the world, if you turn the ball over and they just score two points, if you are not immediately using your next play speed and transitioning to the next play, because we need you right now in the present, not in the past of what just happened, you are again doing something that is uh, less than your ability. So I talk a lot about having amnesia. Forget about the good things you did. Forget about the bad things you did. Do something more right now, and then forget about what you just did. Do one more thing right now. So that's that's kind of an analogy that I uh, that yeah. I use with our players here.
1: I love it. You know, I also bring this up. This is it's it's quite funny when I do bring it up in front of a team because it, it gets a I get giggles every time I bring it up. But, you know, when we're playing the game of basketball, which is very fast paced, you know, you got to go offense, defense, defense, offense, going back and forth, back and forth. If you're not letting go of that mistake or not getting the information or the feedback in the moment, sometimes it's very hard to, to do that in the game of basketball. But but if you're not letting go of that failure and that mistake and you're carrying it with you back and forth and you haven't let go of it, you're just creating an emotional bag of shit. And that's what it becomes, emotional mm-hmm. bag of shit, because you're plugged into the emotion of it. And, and if you haven't let go of it, then that bag of shit gets bigger and bigger. And what that does is it gives you negative self-talk. It messes with your breath. You get a little bit tighter muscles. Your, your body pro- posture gets affected. And it just becomes a shitty situation. So as you were saying, we need to be present. We need to play present. We need to have next play speed. And there's no way that you can actually achieve those things if you have this emotional bag of shit on your shoulders.
0: That's that's an image that I'm yeah. gonna keep with me for a long time. And I love it. And I love it because I think it drives the point home. Who wants to carry that around? Right. They just stink don't carry it around. It stinks. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs>
1: you know, right. as a as a coach, I know for years you had your own training company, uh which dot and, and I know you focused a lot on technique and a lot of footwork, which is the basis of basketball. Uh, very vital to the development of a basketball player. But as you're, you, when you're dealing with technique and you're teaching footwork, are you how much are you focusing on like connecting, like visualization and and breathing and mindfulness techniques when you're teaching technique and footwork?
0: Yeah, I love talking about that because I, I did disguise it as footwork, but I taught two things. I taught footwork and mentality. And I put those two together. And the way I tried to teach it was I was trying to teach, I was trying to trick kids basically. So we did a lot of shooting drills, but I never talked about their shot. I just talked about their feet and about their mentality. So you tell kids, Hey, we're going to shoot about 300 shots in one hour. They're like, okay, coach, let's go. But if you say, Hey, I'm going to talk to you, we're going to do a lot of footwork drills and mentality drills in an hour. I don't know if they're going to get up the same way. So I kind of disguised that but what I was trying to emphasize was I was trying to do a lot of repetition with footwork and I'm a big believer that what you can do with your feet in the game of basketball is very finite it's not infinite there's only a few things you can do with your feet and then your ability to be more versatile with your game depends on you being able to put together combinations but I think uh, and and I love challenging kids these days I'll say go on YouTube and pull up the best crossover or move that you've ever seen and show it to me. And I'll show you how it goes back to either one of the three pivots or one of the three counters, because there are only six things you can do with your feet. And I haven't been proven wrong yet. I'm I'm still waiting on that email, but (laughs) I will emphasize footwork and mentality over everything. So the footwork side, I work on uh, with kids all the time, Uh, try to simplify the game, try to show them if you can master these six things You can transform them into any place on the court, both offense or defense, and you can become a better player. The mental side of it comes when you get the ball in your hands. And that's where the focus of having a shot mentality and having a shot mentality isn't necessarily get the ball in your hands and you have to shoot it, but you have to consider yourself a shooting threat when you get the ball. And when you do that, without even noticing, you line up to the basket a little bit better. The ball is not on your hip. It's actually in your shooting pocket or in your shooting area because I'm not a big fan of the word shooting pocket or the term. But you are ready to shoot. So your mentality immediately changes to a player that's an offensive threat. And that helps your team, and it helps you as well. So a lot of that is about the mentality of – knowing that when you have the ball in your hands, you are going to do something good with it. And now we're at the point of, are you going to put in the work to be able to do something good with it? But the mentality of I have the ball, I'm in control, and I'm going to do something good for my team is something that I emphasize just as often as I do footwork.
1: I love it. I love it. I mean, that's music to my ears. I love that. (laughs) You know, currently you're assistant coach at University of North Carolina at Greensboro. How much does your program focus on the mental side of the game?
0: Well, we take pride being, um, the only program in the Southern Conference that has a, um, sports psychologist, um, ready and, uh, and, you know, at the, uh, at the disposal of our team, we're the only program that has a sports psychologist on site only for athletes. So we place a high value on that. I do know that there's more to it than just having someone available to speak with. So we put an emphasis on being positive. So a lot of positive speak from the coaches, a lot of emphasizing the things that we're good at, and trying to pump them up on a daily basis. Um we put we put a high value on that. We might not have the best resources in the world. We're not a BCS school with uh with a lot of money, but what we can do here in house is we can keep things positive. We can offer our athletes um availability or accessibility to our sports psychologists. And um what we do here at least with uh, I know I do that with my my own position players. I I work with the post will do this on every game day. I will send them very short edits, video edits, of all of their makes or all of their positive plays from, from past games. So it could be a four second clip of them catching the ball and shooting it and making a shot in the game. And I'll send it to them and they can get about 60, 70 clips before every game and it will take them about three minutes to go through them. But the point of it is, I call it uh, game day visualization. I want them to see themselves do good things and have that in their minds on game day. So at the very least, um, I'm occupying mental bandwidth that is, that has something to do with something good that they did themselves. So those are some of the things that we do here.
1: Man, I'm just sitting there smiling when you're saying that because I, I push (laughs) so much for my athletes that I work with to watch their highlight film as much as possible. And and there's a lot of there's a lot of athletes that do, but some of them are like, well, isn't that like why do I want to spend all this time looking at ML? because you wanna not only do you want to fuel your motivation and inspiration, but you're training your brain to see yourself doing the things right. And and if you're seeing yourself on game day doing things right, especially if there's there's moments in those highlight films where like it's spectacular and it's extraordinary guess what? You're going to be a little bit more motivated a little bit more fired up and be more joyful To and it will show in your play. And I'd rather you do that and it's putting you in control. And so I, I, the fact that you do that on game day is like allowing me to actually use that as a technique. Cause I, I just ask people just to look at it, you know, like the night before, or when they feel like their game is not going well, go back to your highlight film Create some motivation and inspiration. See yourself doing great things. Train your brain to see you doing good things again. But I like it that, that you're pushing it more as a best practice before every game.
0: Yeah, it's it's important to me and I think they appreciate that. And and you can go and check out the their stats. I think it has somewhat of a positive translation into what they're doing this year. I think our post position our team, in general, is doing is doing really well right now, and uh, I'm going to try and knock on wood very, very quietly as I say that. But our posts are are having a very good season, and I know some of it has to do with the fact that we're not really allowing negativity, doubt, or anything like that to seep into their brains on game day. It's all positive. It's all familiarity with the routine, um, and and just positivity and. And just trying to get them to visually see the ball go through the hoop, that's all it is. Um, once once they do that, I think we're in good in a good place.
1: Beautiful. You know what I've been you know what I'm gonna do is actually I'm working with a few different teams right now, basketball teams. and I'm gonna implement this on on game day. On top of what I have been doing, I've actually made a visualization, call it an audio clip, and basically what I've done is I've taken I've taken the the sound of a ball going through a hoop. And I've actually woven into meditation music. So as they're actually being relaxed and they're meditating the day of the night before throughout the week, they're actually they're they're relaxing their body, relaxing their mind, but they're actually visualizing by hearing the sound of the hoop going through the the ball going through the hoop. So I feel like if, if we're doing that and also showing highlights of great work, the day, I think the day of the game, I think those those could be very powerful.
0: Yeah, I'd love to hear how that works out. I might have to steal that as well.
1: Yeah, I got it already. so I'll, I'll send it over your way. <laughs>
0: oh, perfect. Thank you. Beautiful. <laughs>
1: let's let's switch gears here a little bit on, on culture. I know that uh, you have been a head coach for, for multiple programs. Um, obviously, you're assistant coach right now at the D1 level. But when we think about culture, which is one of my favorite topics on the show, but what, is,
0: what does culture mean to you? I think it's being on the same page and I think it's knowing where we want to go and being able to um, have everyone buy in to the destination, but be ready to put in the work as we go through it. It's so hard to do that. It's very hard to do that. It's it's such a, such a buzzword and right. You know, it it's, very hard to do. I know it's something that's hard to build, but it's it's like a it's like Jenga. You know, <laughs> you, you can pull one brick out, and everything goes collapsing. Um, it's very elusive. I'll tell you that. And, and whoever comes up with a formula that works for everyone is going to be very rich. But we're dealing with people, not blocks, so that's what makes it so challenging. You have to come from a place of knowing why this is important to each and every one. On your uh, program, in your program, or in your organization, and then trying to figure out how to take them all there together and, and keep them fighting for one another and for the greater cause. So that's that's very elusive.
1: Right. Yeah. No, it's um, there's a lot there's a lot of moving parts to, to building culture, mm-hmm. sustaining culture, protecting culture. But there's there's kind of a two-part question here with regards to that. What do you think is the most important part of building team culture? And then how do you actually how do you how do you get the team or individuals to buy into the culture?
0: I think you have to show them what's in it for them a little bit. They they have to know that at the end of the day you care about whatever it is that they care about. You're not going to have great culture if you have an organization or a team of selfish people. It's just not going to work. But if you have some people that care about the greater good and, and they can see that you can really succeed in a team dynamic, once you figure that out and you put those people together, then you have to figure out as the leader what it is that drives them, why this is important to them, and how can I put everything together? how can I use their internal motivation to pour into one another and help drive that bus in the same direction uh, to use a John Gordon analogy. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I, again, like I said, it, it's very hard. I, I've, I've been um, more unsuccessful as a head coach building culture than successful. I have achieved it in some organizations and some dynamics and and did not in others. And I think ultimately it falls on the leader. It has to be a very clear message of where we're going, but they also need to want to follow. And if they don't want to follow you, they're not going with you. You're going to look back and they're still standing over there. So a lot of it falls on the leader, but if you can put together a coherent message and be dynamic and charismatic enough for people to want to follow you in that direction then you have a chance
1: absolutely you know and it's when it comes to culture what i think is one of the most beautiful things that i've witnessed as an athlete as a football coach and also as a mental performance coach is when you see player led cultures when you're saying it's it's up to the leader or leaders right and I think it goes a little bit beyond that, too. It's 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 every individual, regardless if you're a leader, a captain, first string, it's the second string and third string, that if everyone's bought in and they're bought into the culture and the language, the action, when you start to see players start practice before the coach gets there or pull out all the equipment before the coach gets there and puts it away at the end without being asked, uh, holding you know individual team meetings without the coach uh reporting things to the coach about, you know, the dynamics of the team. Like that is when to me the vibration of a team where it's player led, and don't get me wrong, a coach led culture is, is great too. But I just think that there's so much more empowerment and so much more connection and synergy synergy when the when the players are leading the culture.
0: I agree. I think I think what you touched on is next level. It is absolutely next level. I think I think kickstarting a culture, if I walk into a program tomorrow and there is no culture there or the, the culture there is something that needs to change, it is definitely up to me to get it started as the head coach. I think once you get to a point where you can let go of the reins and you have people uh, in your organization that want to take on more of a leadership role, then it's, it's amazing to sit back and go, Wow look at them go and look at them lead and pick one another up and uh and direct them in the right direction and and we're all going in the same direction but it's it's our players it's our it's our employees that drive this that that is that to me is such next level and and it's great to see um i think we have that here to to be quite honest and and it's very exciting to be a part of that
1: yeah absolutely you know we, we hear a lot about transformational coaching versus transactional coaching. And I want to bring this up because I had a coach on my show and just from being a coach and also being a mental performance coach, you know, my goal is I want to be a transformational coach. I want to be a transformational person. But as I brought this up to her, she was like, well, I think there needs to be a balance between there's sometimes depending on the dynamic of the team or the individual that you need to be a little bit transactional so and i always think like no i won't you know i'm my train of thought is like no be transformational be transformational but what is your thought process as being a coach do you think that there's times where there's a place in time for transactional coaching and transformational
0: coaching you know i think in the in the lens of what you just said i think there should be a little bit of a balance So to dial it back a little bit, to me, a transactional coach asks, what can you do for me? And a transformational coach will ask, what can I do for you? Right. And so uh, because a transformational coach wants to pour into the person, wants to make them more, elevate them, give them opportunity, empower them. Transactional coach is more more focused on the current transaction between you and me with the emphasis on me. I think um, answering your question and what you've explained uh, that the other person said, I think being a transactional coach at some points of the day or, or the process is okay. If the question that is asked isn't what can you do for me? It's what can you do for us? Yeah. So that to me is a good transaction. What can you, the individual, do for us? being on the same page, you wanting to go to the same place and wanting to do it together. And then the transformational part of it is what can we, what can us, what can we do for you? Yeah. I think to me, that's what I take from it. That's where the balance that's, that's the kind of balance I'm comfortable with. If you want to go more into the transactional side.
1: Yeah. I, that actually, I appreciate that, cause that. That was a great uh, perspective of that because I, yeah i i I've seen a lot of transactional coaches and and also a lot of transformational coaches but i I think there's some times where when I was talking to this particular coach she was saying like there's sometimes where I just have to say just do your job now, just do it I don't care how you feel I don't care what you say, just do it now and so she's like there's sometimes you need that and i and I get that um from from a different perspective, but I also like The way that you're talking about transformational, about we, and how we as a coaching staff can actually help you as the athlete, and I always think of transformational coaching as coaching the heart of the athlete. How do I get in? How do I actually be that coach to uh, help motivate and inspire the spirit of that athlete on a day-to-day basis?
0: You know, I love that because we are trying to get the best out of them, Mm -hmm. but... Uh, At the end of the day, I don't have a job if it's not for them. And coaches are very quickly replaceable. Athletes, not so quickly. Right. And so we have to remember that we owe some of our job to them. And so it's not so much, to me at least, I understand do your job. But who are you doing your job for? You're Mm -hmm. not running through a wall for me, the assistant coach. You're running through a wall for your teammates, for our program, for what the head coach stands for, what we as assistant coaches are reinforcing every day, and then for our individual relationships between staff and players. But that thing is is a salad. It's not a side dish. You know, there's so many things in it. Right. So that to me is is that part of, um, you know, for me. No, it's it's for us. I might be the one delivering the message that we need a transaction from you right now, but it's we. Mm. It's not me, and it might sound a little idealistic, or um, you know, it, it, it's not perfect. It's not always the case, but I think the more we go away from me and turn it into a we, and I'm not the first one to say that. I think I think everybody's better off for it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the, just the the we before me mentality. It's just um mm-hmm. that's how that's how culture or cultures and teams thrive when we get everybody bought yeah. into that we before me mentality. So that's um that's awesome. I love that. Absolutely. Share with me um as we're closing out here on the show, uh I think that your your the structure of your podcast, the way that you do it is i have not seen anybody do it yet and it's really interesting your podcast is called one last thought podcast and share with my listeners why you created this the structure because it is a little different unique and and just tell me how you're feeling as a podcast host creating something like this for listeners
0: well thank you for uh for bringing it up. I, I am very proud of this project. And uh, I use the term podcast host very loosely because <laughs> I, uh, you know, like you said, the the structure of it is different. And uh, I started asking myself the question of what is it that I'm good at? What kind of value can I add? I don't know if I could add as much value being a Q&A uh, interviewer. I, I just don't think I'd be good at it. And so I wanted to kind of deviate from that and to backtrack a little bit more, the idea behind the podcast is just to share um, people's perspective, answering one simple question or maybe one complicated question, depending on who you're asking. The question is, if you had one life lesson that you can share with future generations, what would that be? And so that's the only question I ask anybody that comes on the podcast the way it started to me was I struggled for many years. I turned 40 last August. So I uh, struggled for many years finding my why. Like, like I mentioned before, I always looked at myself in the scope of a basketball player or a basketball coach, but I've realized after 40 years that my why isn't to do this or that. And I've been very jealous of other people's why's for many years. I've been trying to adopt them as mine, but they're not mine. But I realized after starting the path with this podcast, that my why is to create. I just like creating things. Uh, I do it at work. I help create better players. I help create better people. I create opportunities for players to come here through recruiting. I create different processes in in our program to either look at analytics or look at film differently. And, uh, and through the podcast, I create opportunities for people to share maybe one of their most important life lessons to share with other people. And so what I do with this information that people send me is I'll um, get a thought from a man and a thought from a woman and I'll combine them. And what I'll do is I'll cut out um, sound bites from each and I'll weave them together. So it goes back and forth between the two guests. And so it turns into a conversation that never really took place, but it comes together Yeah, it comes together in a way that I feel is unique and very beneficial to anybody listening. And what I do with that is I keep it under 10 minutes. The meat and potatoes of the podcast is in the middle, and that's the conversation between the two contributors. I'll introduce and I'll wrap up but I will not interject and you will not hear my voice in between it's all about the message and that's why I use podcast host very loosely <laughs> I'm more of a podcast creator yeah. facilitator and uh, enthusiast but um it is my it is my uh, passion project I'm very very happy with it uh, their results are Amazing. I'm so humbled. There are over 600 people currently involved with the podcast, either recording or have recorded or are in the process of doing so. And um, it's been so widely accepted and celebrated. I'm just so humbled by it. And and my inbox is full of inspiration every day. So I just don't even know how to uh, express how, how happy I am with that. But I'd love for uh, anybody who listens to this to check it out. It's very quick. It's usually seven minutes per episode, so trying to keep it uh, succinct and uh, to the point. So, so that's it. That's uh, one last thought. Podcast.
1: That's beautiful. Uh, wh- where can my listeners check out the podcast?
0: Anywhere they get podcasts. It's pretty much anywhere. If you if you search for it on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher, you'll find it there. So just one last thought podcast. Um, I'm on all social media, so yeah, definitely, uh, find us anywhere.
1: Where can they, where can they find you, uh, on social media? What, what are some of your handles? Awesome. Awesome. Well, one more question. It's a deep question that I love to ask, but when you reflect on your whole career, so as an athlete, as a coach, what do you think you've learned the most about yourself?
0: I probably learned that a little later than I uh, wanted to. Um, I always say that my career started too late. I think I'm a little behind with where I would want to be if I could do a do-over. And I would do that do-over knowing this. The most important thing about my career or my career path would be the relationships that I've uh, created with people. No one gets anywhere on their own. No one is ever successful on their own. And if, if the most successful people that turn around and say, I did it all by myself, if they really look within them, someone helped them along the way. Someone provided something for them that wasn't there. And I think the, re- the second I realized that it's about people, it's about relationships, it's about giving before asking, it's about providing value for others before asking for something in return. Um, that's when my career started taking off. Um, We kind of spoke a little bit before the podcast, but my current position right now that I'm so fortunate to have happened because of a relationship that I cultivated with a person that I didn't know 12 years prior to this opportunity offered to me. And it was because a person put in a good word for me, unbeknownst to me, that created this opportunity. So the deposits we make into people a decade ago, If you keep making deposits into people, if you keep building relationships, at the very least, you are gaining something and you're giving something to that person, even if they don't help you along the way. But maybe they will. And maybe the opportunity that you will reflect back on when you're 80 years old happened because of something you did 20 years before that opportunity happened. So it's all about people. It's all about being uh, a person who gives value and wants to pour into people and if i had known that earlier i don't regret anything but i think i would have been here a little faster so that is it for me yeah
1: that's awesome you know i i i feel the same way I, I i started what i'm doing now later in life and if i could do a do-over i'd started a lot earlier but I have, you know, been in sales for 17 years, and and just the, all the leadership opportunities I've had in my life, I've I wouldn't be where I am right now because of the relationships that I have built. And one of my one of my mentors who gave me great advice when I first started getting into my mental performance practice was he's like, every time you meet somebody, anytime that that links in with you, anytime that you have an opportunity to connect. He goes, there's there's so much opportunity in there, but you need to take care of that relationship. And there's mo- moments where I, I'll reach out to him and say, hey, I just had this interview with you know with this team and and I didn't get it. And he goes, well, now you have a new contact, now you have a new relationship. It's not about just that transaction of not getting the job, but at least you connected with someone, circle back with them and like you said you just never know like you never know what's going to happen but if you're if you're connected with the energy and if your intent is is authentic um you you just never know what these relationships will do for you and also for for your career down the road well yeah. you know man this is uh, I I literally can speak to you for another hour or so uh there's many more <laughs> things that I wanted to, to kind of pick your brain on but I just wanted to to really, really thank you for sharing your thoughts and your energy on just basketball, coaching culture, and just, just understanding your, your, your one last thought podcast, man, this was, this was great, man. And and I would love to have you on the show in the future again.
0: I can't wait anytime, any place. Let's do this again. Thank you so much for having me over and keep uh, empowering people, keep helping people out. This is uh, a phenomenal podcast and, and I'm so, uh, appreciative for the opportunity to be on.